welcome to the 40th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. I am one of your co-hosts, Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor in rhetoric and composition here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where I focus on, amongst other things, minority rhetorics and digital humanities. And when I say digital humanities right now, for me, that means video games, video games, video games. And I am joined this evening, as in every podcast evening, by my two fabulous co-hosts, Alex Lane and Nicole Marie. Ladies. What's up? Hello. Am I going first? You sure can. Oh, okay. Well, good. I don't have much to say about myself anymore. I'm Nicole Marie, and I'm just awesome, living at home, doing really cool things. That's what I do. All right. (laughs) Um, I am Alex Lane. I am a PhD student, no, a PhD candidate in rhetoric and composition here at Purdue. I also study video games, and today I ran my first day of orientation for new professional writing teachers. I am fucking exhausted. Oh, oh I made there three it is. seconds in. Woohoo! Yeah. F5. Right. <laughs> Starting it early. <clears throat> all right. So this week, um, we're doing something a little different. Uh, there's all kinds of wonderful things uh, in. Uh, it's going to be all kinds of wonderful things for us uh, going on this week. We're going to do um, kind of our usual precursor to our topic of the week. But this week, we're going to take some viewer mail uh, questions because we have a couple of them stacking up. So we're going to go through those. Um, and then in addition, we're going to have a video supplement that's going to go up with episode 40 this week. Um, and we'll tell you more about that at the end. So uh, without further ado, we will start this week with what you're playing uh, and then move into what you're reading and what you're drinking. Um, so, well, since I'm first on the list, I'll go with what you've been playing. Um, I've been playing a lot of Dungeon Defenders again because Alex Lane is addicted to Dungeon Defenders. And <laughs> she is drawing everybody back into the madness. True. So, we've been playing Dungeon Defenders at home, Dungeon Defenders at the office, Dungeon Defenders any and everywhere we possibly can. Very true. Um, I'm still playing a bit of Spelunky, um, even though I can never, ever, ever possibly even think about winning. It's just fun to, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, to watch myself die over and over again as I'm about to right now. Um, That's really messed up. That's Freudian. (laughs) Because it's fun to watch myself die. Yeah, Alex Lane gave up because... She's not a good sport. <clears throat> well, here's the thing. It's I passed the first world. You know, you have to go through four levels or whatever, and then you pass the first world and you move on to the next one. And I finally, after trying forever, I finally did it. Um, but then you die and you start all the way back over at the beginning. So, like, there's no... Pro- you can't progress. No, you just have to play through with the same four lives. Unless you get more lives. Because you can get more lives from the coffin thingies. Well, you get them from kissing the princess. Oh, and get them from kissing the princess. Yeah. So you have to save the princess. Yeah. Or find a coffin. Or you can buy kisses from the princess, too. Because sometimes the princess is um, for sale. In the, her kisses are for sale in the little market. Really? I have never, ever gotten... 
I told you, I didn't give up. I put well days no, and days from the, morning till whatever. I passed out of exhaustion and Cheeto overdose. Well, the world's randomly spawned, and I've <laughs> never had one spawn that gave me a princess in the store. Mm-hmm. Well, it hates me. Okay. Um, I picked up a copy of Professor Layton and the Last Spectre for the DS. Um, and I've been playing that. I'm a, I've always been a Professor Layton kind of oh, yeah. junkie. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm playing Professor Layton and the Last Spectre because that's actually one I hadn't picked up. Um, and I'm having fun with that, but that's nothing unusual. Um, I got the first two episodes, the only two that are out, actually, of The Walking Dead um, on Xbox. And, yeah, I'm totally addicted. Every time I, like, even start playing, I play straight through the episodes. It's only, like, three or four hours. Um but I played through episode one and episode two, and it's pretty funny because after I, uh, after I played through episode two, I played through episode one one night, and then the next night I played through episode two. Then I started having zombie nightmares, but I can't really call them nightmares because they were more just like zombie dreams, because I was like a, a survivor in the zombie apocalypse in my dream, but I wasn't frightened. I was just like surviving and shooting zombies and running them over with my car and shit. Um, so that just tells me that I am ultimately prepared for the zombie apocalypse. Yep. I'm holding to that. Yeah. You're just the most prepared of all of us. <laughs> um, I went back to a couple of other old games. I was picked up Skylanders because P wanted to play Skylanders. So I played some Skylanders. Um, I played, uh, some Catan on XBLA. Um, I've been playing more Quantum Conundrum because we're meeting next week to talk about Quantum Conundrum. Um, so I've been playing Quantum... White male privilege. It's so, so great to have. In case you haven't seen Hey Ash, that Hey Ash, what you're playing Quantum Conundrum episodes, you really need to pick that up. You, know, you need, really need to like look that up on YouTube. Um, and uh, I played the demo for the Book of Unwritten Tales um, on Steam, which is an RPG. It's like, well, it's actually a point-and-click adventure game is what it is. Um, I played the demo because it looked really cute and really fun, and the characters look hobbity, and it was actually a lot of fun to play, but I can't buy it because I made that promise that I wasn't buying any more games on Steam until I played at least half of the ones that I bought during the Steam sale. <laughs> so I just had to stop at the demo. Good, good. And that's what I played. <clears throat> What about you guys? Um, I'll go, because I'm not on our list this week. Uh, so I was looking through my Raptor play, and I know that I've been playing a lot of uh, Hey, Heyday, and um, we just got the expansion on the Catan on the iPad, the Seafarers expansion. So I've been playing a lot of that, too. Um, but I'm, <laughs> So I'm looking through my Raptor account to see like what I played in the last uh, two weeks. And Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, Dungeon Defenders, all the way back till 15 days ago when I played something else. So uh, I have been playing Dungeon Defenders. Even one of my things is like, because they like tag it, they're like, Gamer Lane spent a chunk of time playing Dungeon Defenders, which would be like two hours or less, right? And then if you have four hours, or around four hours, it says, Alex Lane played a game of Dungeon Defenders. But I have a six-hour chunk here that says, Gamer Lane came up for air from a crazy session of Dungeon Defenders. <laughs> so I'm at 132 hours of that oh game. Oh my god. Um, I can't believe I'm getting a PhD. I can't. I just, yeah. How did I get a prospectus done? 
I don't know, playing 150 hours of Dungeon Defenders. Between that Dungeon and my Defenders. 250 oh, hours man. of Civ 5. Civ, and thank God no one tracks my Sim sim playing. That would be awful. Um, So I played I played Dungeon Defenders. I, Yep, I got nothing. I, I love it. I'm obsessed with That's... it. And I would beg <laughs> you know Bob to kill somebody's Sam's mother Raptor to play comes that. Out. It's What's usually that? Spelunky or Dungeon Defenders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Nicole. So that's all you've played? Yeah, that's all I've played. Yeah. Oh, okay. Alright. See, mine are like oldies but goodies. Sort of. I've been I my little sister doesn't play video games. That's not usually her prerogative. And I'm trying to get her to play more. And I figured what better game to play for someone who feels like they're not good at video games than Borderlands. Cause really, as long as you can point a gun and shoot, you're gonna do well at that game. So, we've been replaying through Borderlands together, and that's been a lot of fun, actually, because I'm just ultimately preparing myself for the second one to come out. Um, and then I finally sat down and started Assassin's Creed Revelations. I bought that back in, God, whenever it came out, and I just hadn't had time between all the other games I've been playing to play it, so I've been playing that, and I really like it, but at the same time, I can't wait for a new environment. Like, I seriously can't wait for this new one, and to interact with things other than buildings. That's gonna be exciting. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, as per usual, whenever there's new maps on Modern Warfare 3, I'm playing them, just because what else do I do with my life? And then uh, I recently got the Amazon um, App Store. Mm-hmm. So I've been getting the app of the day, and I feel like a kid at Christmas because every time it's an app that I don't even care about, I download it anyways because even if you delete it, you can always go back and get it for free. Well, so my sister got this one called Pottery, and literally all you do is make pottery. <laughs> and I sat there and played it for like an hour and a half straight. And like, so people will send you emails and they're, they tell you that they've heard of you through someone and that you do a really good job making pottery and they send you pictures of pottery that they've seen in museums or something and then they ask if you can recreate it and then whenever you do that and you have to get like at least three stars on not only the the shape that you build but also the painting job that you do on it for them to pay you for it otherwise you will never like progress and so it's it's I, I don't know why I enjoy this game. I really don't know. I just sit there and play it nonstop. So we all like weird stuff. What are you playing yeah. this on your phone? Your phone? <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 originally a five dollar app, which blew my mind. But if you got it for the app of the day for free, then it was a really awesome steal because I I would not pay five dollars for it. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so that's what I played. That's what you did. All right. Um, next up, we got what you're reading, and I'm gonna be the first to admit I have read absolutely nothing because what this is orientation week. This is if for those <clears throat> of you who don't know what orientation week's all about. Imagine just being punched in the face with a metal fist over and over for twelve hours. Now it's fine, but it's so exhausting. You can't even imagine. Like, people come and they're like, oh, sweet, I get to teach, yay! And it's fun and we do all this. They don't realize how many hours and days and weeks of work have went in to just making one hour of their orientation. So, yeah, we're a little tired. 
because we have we have to prep I'm all sorry. the stuff for orientation and then run and then run it and so. then answer questions. Well, I don't get this. Well, maybe if you shut up, <laughs> maybe if you shut up, or I will make you shut up. No. Um, so we we both spent all day of the last three days, but um, particularly today was the worst for me because we we did the first day of the professional writing orientation for new teachers. And so it's, I mean, it's it's eight, ten hours straight of being on your game, man. So that means you haven't read anything yet either, huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I forgot more. Than no. I've read plenty of nothing that had to do with anything. So. Yeah, well, there's that. I've read plenty of nothing. Well, I've read plenty of blogs. They have a lot to do with lots of things, but, you know. That's kind of the usual for me. Yeah, there's a couple of articles that came out this week. One in Slate, one in... There's another really popular yeah, one. Yeah, there's been some good articles. Definitely. Well, I've definitely. read some of that stuff, but I haven't read any bookie type stuff. Not yeah, that it has either. anything to do with this. Because last week was spent getting ready for orientation and getting ready for classes next week. To... Read the label on this bottle of vodka. That's oh, there you go. <laughs> That's a nice segue into yeah. what you're drinking. Hey, <laughs> We're I can't guess. Clearly. I can't guess what you're drinking. What is it? <laughs> well, I have two different, several different things going. Actually, from where I'm sitting, I can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven <laughs> different things. Uh, but I drank first a little bottle of Seagram Seven Dark Honey. Ooh, that sounds good. It was really good, actually. I just drank it out of the bottle. Sam razzed me a little, uh, but that was pretty good. And now I'm drinking Stolen the Jeff. Stolich, no? Yes. Stolich, nine. Yeah. Uh, vodka. So Stolich and, and Sierra Mist. <clears throat> Woo! Well, first of all, the Sierra Mist was free. So, <laughs> And I ran all over fucking campus looking for a goddamn... I'm, I'm sorry. Look at me go. I ran all over freaking campus looking for a gosh darn lemonade for <laughs> Sam Blackman. And I couldn't find one. I went to the vending machines. And I, they had lemonade, but water came out of the lemonade compartment. And then I went over to the Union, and all the stores were closed. So then I came back, and I was going to get an iced tea instead for her drink. But the iced tea machine only took ones, and I only had a five. So then I had to get candy so that I could get change to get the iced tea. And then I come up here, and she goes, I fucking knew you weren't going to bring me lemonade. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then I kissed the bottle of vodka. I was like, Thank you, friend. Chug it. Just chug Thank it. Thank you, friend. No. So... I'm sorry. That's what I'm drinking. I said more about that than what I was reading or playing put together. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I That's all right. Drinking. It's been that kind of a week. It's just exemplary of your week. I Thank you. I agree. Don't you agree? I do agree. Man. How do you do this every year, Sam? Uh, every year. Three days in and I feel like I'm going to die. And Sam not only does this all, every year, but does it all year. <laughs> this is her job all the time. How do you not kill people? That is my question to you. Yeah, yeah I just know where to bury the bodies. All right. I was just going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> so I am drinking um, Firefly iced tea lemonade, uh, iced tea vodka, flavored vodka, and water. Did you say it like that because I couldn't get you lemonade? Because I tried. I know you tried. And water. I mixed it with water, so it made this iced tea thing, but then it wasn't sweet enough. So then I put iced tea in it, and it's still not sweet enough, but you know what? I'm going to drink it anyway. So, sounds lovely. So I'm drinking Firefly iced tea tea. 
I sneaked you. <laughs> so it's not a sneaky sneaky. And that's what I'm drinking. Wow, I'm going to rain on that parade and go with Crystal Light. I'm going to try it. I'm put, okay, now I need to change what I'm drinking because I just upgraded a little. What is it? I put some more, I put some Firefly in my drink as well just to see how it would taste. And now with it's your this Sierra really Mist lovely and vodka? brown color. What's that? With your Sierra Mist and Vodka? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, we're going back to being 16 and mixing whatever's left in the... In the cabinet. <laughs> just mixing all of it. Yeah. I think when I was 16, my prerogative was just drink out of the bottle until it doesn't taste like anything. It's sweet. That's why. Right? There's a lot of vodka in there. Ooh. Yes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you drinking, Nicole? Crystal Light. Oh, God. Is it at least Crystal Light Energy? Actually, yeah, it is. The strawberry one? That's the best one. That's That stuff is good, man. Good. It makes me jittery, though. I like that. Well, though. maybe you need to stop drinking it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> That's not the answer. Are we going to have an intervention for my Crystal Light drinking? No, clearly we're not. Considering <laughs> we haven't oh, even okay, left good. work yet and we're drinking, I don't think we're intervening on anybody. I mean, we have left work and are at our homes. Yeah, we're at home. We wouldn't drink on campus. we got a dry campus. Yeah, dry campus. I'm at home and I'm not drinking. I could be. I don't know what my mom would say. <laughs> Your mom doesn't know that you drink? Not that you drink. No. I don't know. It would be like, why are you podcasting and drinking at the same time? She just probably wouldn't understand. Hmm. She wouldn't understand the nature of the cast, is what, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That we have a whole segment just on drinking. Yep. <laughs> Acceptable. Acceptable. <laughs> and we ate free pizza for dinner. I know, thanks, Pearson. Whoop, whoop. We got free donuts from her this morning, free pens. Free lunch boxes. Free lunch boxes, and free pizza and free soda. What the heck? Now you know why your textbooks cost so much. And then we watched her get asked out. No way. <laughs> yeah, we did. Oh, that's good. That was pretty good. Yeah, there was a there was a there was somebody hanging around when we we walked in and we're talking to her. We cock blocked him apparently. And he was clearly <laughs> he was clearly waiting to ask her out. And we just hung around for a while. And finally, when we were like, "Oh well, we gotta go," and as we were leaving, he asked her out. Oh my god! Because she was like, "Okay, well, I guess I'll leave with you guys." And he was like, "Damn it, it's now or never." <laughs> no. It's kind of weird asking someone out when you're like two feet away from your boss, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god is this someone who's gonna hear us talking about this nah nah well I okay mean, his office shares a wall with this so probably he might hear us now <laughs> it was funny oh, it wasn't good. anything it was funny it wasn't bad it was actually kind of sweet it was super sweet aww and hilarious <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Let the record show that if she dies, I did not kill her. <laughs> you find me asphyxiated. Alex Lane killed me. Over a pen. <laughs> Just Over a pen. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I was making noise. All right. So that's what we're drinking. What about our news of the week? News. All right. So I have just a few pieces. Keep it light, you know. Um... I think the most interesting one in all of this, even though it may not be entirely games related, um, is a a website called Business Insider um, posted 
an article called 10 Female CEOs Who Earn More Than Most Male CEOs in the S&P 500, which I don't know what that is. S&P? Yeah. It's a Okay, well that's cool. It's important. So, it said, in the last fiscal year, among the 481 male CEOs to the 19 female CEOs, which, hello, 19 females to 481 males just yeah. blew my mind. Um, the women earned a median compensation of 11.1 million, while men earned a median compensation of 9.8 million. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. Even though there's less of them, they're somehow making more. Hmm. So I'm not sure entirely what that says about... I'm not I'm not totally business savvy to say what that would mean, but I don't know if it... And actually, if you if you were to look at the list, it's, a, it's probably a more diverse list than that Kotaku 50 most powerful people in the video game industry. So, um, that was... I know someone who is... Her job is to hire CEOs for top companies. She does a ton of, like, the Fortune 500 companies and stuff. And uh, we sat down and talked about what... About, like, some of my research and about what uh, kinds of stuff that she does as, as like, training she, CEOs. And she talked a lot about needing to hire women because it, they're just ridiculously underrepresented when it comes to, like, the most top-paid executives. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she said one of the biggest arguments she gets from people all the time, and I use this as a quiz uh, or a puzzle in my class last year, but she said that, so what happens is they complain that there aren't enough qualified women for these positions. And so they can't hire any because even though some apply, they're usually not qualified enough. And so she says that what she tells them is you have to understand that you and people exactly like you have been the ones defining what is qualified and what is not. So you define it based on male qualities, male, you know, male, um, whatever, uh, paradigms and so forth. So you have to break out of that. So what happens is you have to hire women that may not meet these standards that mean nothing anyway. Um, right. If you want to get innovative, diverse um, CEOs. So I thought that was super interesting. So she's like, so what do you do? You hire an unqualified one, you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. That is very interesting. Cool. I have pizza. <laughs> Sorry, okay. The next one, though, that I had that I thought was hilarious, and I'm not sure how I feel about this is a group called Torch for Gaming, and they think that eSports should have a spot in the Olympics, that they should be an Olympic event. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this is something that I would agree with. Like, apparently they currently have about 1,600 signatures from 24 different countries, hmm. and they are saying that... Um, by their design, video games provide joy and education. They entertain and they teach. Games create ethical boundaries and challenge our views. They force us to govern and to abide. No other sport can claim such a combination of body, will, and mind. It's not a sport. I mean, I don't care if it's called a sport or not. It's not, a, it's not athletic. How's that? It can be a sport, but it's not athletic. 
which I would argue is kind of the embodiment of what the Olympics are, is they're sports. Like, we're not... We're not like not who can the type the fastest sports, at the Olympics or something. Well, like, I, I don't know sports in the Olympics. They shouldn't be in the Olympics because yeah. they're not sports right. or they're not athletic. Right. If you want to call them sports, you want to call them e-sport, call them what the hell you want. But it's not athletic. No, you know? there's no there's no. Yeah. And when they say that it's the no other sport can claim such a combination of body will and mind. I'm like, what part of your body are you using while you're gaming um, aside from your hands? Right. It's just. Yeah, it's. I mean, more power to them, but it's stupid. No, you know. How about the esports Olympics? Have your own thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're, yeah. You can get more prestige doing your own thing. I mean, it, it's just like it's like just like X Games, right? Mm-hmm. Some of that shit doesn't make it into. I, some of that shit doesn't make it into the Olympics. I'm I'm still shocked that BMX biking made it into the Olympics. That and I think race walking is the craziest shit in the world. But um, have you ever seen dressage? Yes. Horse ballet. Oh yeah. Well, you know, horseback riding takes a lot of muscle isolation. Horseback riding, but horse dancing <laughs> is an entirely fucking different story. So. Actually, the Colbert Report did a whole segment on uh, oh, dressage and oh, how it was basically the rich white man's, like, showing off of how much money they have. Yeah. Is well, the epitome of what Didn't Mitt Romney's wife is. have a horse? Yes. Yeah. That's why everyone knows about it now, because Mitt Romney's <clears throat> wife had a horse in it. Exactly. <laughs> God, that, that episode was really funny. It was really funny. Oh, that's good. And then I had to add this in because I feel like we've been seeing a lot of this lately, and it's like a weird, like, I, I mean, I don't know how people can make this connection anymore, but Korean cops are blaming Grand Theft Auto for a motorcycle gang attack. Apparently, there was a drunk man sitting on the curb, and a gang of teens attacked him. And so they're saying that they were copying a scene from Grand Theft Auto 4. And they said, it's like, this this Herald, the, the Korea Herald points out, Grand Theft Auto 4 has vehicles, including motorcycle bikes, as well as guns. Oh, well, the connection's so strong, I don't see how you can deny that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Nothing else in the universe has guns and motorcycles. Nothing. And no I appreciate <clears throat> the the writer of this article, Brian Ashcraft on Kotaku, he's mm-hmm. like, you, um, the Korea Herald does not go into detail as to why authorities think this attack was an attempt to copy a GTA 4 scene. You know, the one in which a group of young punks attacks a drunk guy sitting on the curb. Surely you remember that mission. No? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's all of them. Hey, just make that shit up as they go along. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's like the, the, the story that made the news about the 14-year-old boy who collapsed <clears throat> because he was dehydrated because he had been locked in his room for four days playing Call of Duty, and he only kind of, as they said, sporadically came out for food and to go to the bathroom, and they said the occasional shower. <clears throat> so they were going on about how this was the fault of video games and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, fuck that. It's the fault of the mother. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the mother or the parents, because there was a mother that was on the news, and there was not. So I said mother because I didn't. There was no other parental figure involved in the story. Um, Who, you know, let her 14 year old stay in his room for four days with the door locked, playing video games. You can't get him out? Guess what? Pull the fuse to his room. He'll come out. (laughs) Put Put a password on the wireless. 
put a password oh, yeah. on the wireless, turn the wireless off. You know, even better, I'd have kicked his door in. Yeah. The first time I knocked on his door and said, come out for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and he did not. Furthermore, don't put a lock on your kid's door. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm kicking the door in. For sure. <laughs> we're not gonna have that, that problem i mean it's absolutely insane and she's like oh well the xbox gone the xbox is gonna be gone now no the xbox should have been gone three and a half days ago uh-huh yeah. <clears throat> uh-huh. yeah when you let your kids sit in his room and get dehydrated and then pass out because on top of everything he's 14 that's right, okay? right. anybody exactly. who's been surrounded with 14 year olds before and most of us have i've had one living in my house they are not too bright <laughs> but they think they are old, I take offense to that I was a former 14 year old and I'm sure I wasn't too bright when I was 14 well your brain isn't like developed enough to be able to make decisions like that which is why you can't do things like drink or drive or join the military and you shouldn't be allowed to do things like decide when you should drink water and eat and shower you need parental <laughs> guidance that, right? that's the whole point of 90% of our rules in society when it comes to kids is they can't make decisions. That's why high school smell like armpits and old sweat socks. <laughs> <laughs> is that what your high, my high school smells like marijuana. Yeah, mine did too. Oh my god. <laughs> what? What's wrong with you people? Yeah. It it's video it's game. you know, it where you, where you're from. I'm just outside of Detroit. Marijuana. There's all sorts of nasty things. Oh my gosh. I went to high school a long, long, long time ago. <clears throat> that being said, there's something wrong with you people. <clears throat> <All right. laughs> I agree. Oh my god. That, Alex Lane is doing something called Happy Weed yeah, over it's here. This game, it's this game called Happy Weed, and it was like one of the first video games I ever played when I was a kid. And it's like a it's like a, a, a Pac-Man, and you're this dude, and you like go around and you collect like weed leaves or whatever and then you get to a joint and it's like the big pellet when you you know eat it and then you can go around and eat the cops when you're all up on, hop, hopped up on your joint oh so it's like bath salts you become a zombie yeah, they have like all sorts of drugs like that's how i learned out about a lot of drugs like peyote and acid and lsd and quaaludes maybe we should be blaming video games <laughs> yeah it's a good game man happy weed check it out show your kids you're 14-year-old, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what, though? On the subject of, like, the parents not being the ones involved, I just saw recently online this note that their this mother left for their kids every morning. And it could just be an internet meme or whatever, but what a fantastic idea. She's, like, she lists off the chores that the kids have to get done for the day, and then she'll give them the password to the wireless internet. I saw that, too. Yeah. Yeah, if I ever have sense. kids, I am so going to limit their technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get we, done what you gotta get you done do my taxes, first. clean my shoes. I don't know what what do kids do for chores. What clean their rooms? Clean their rooms. Take out the trash. Do the dishes. I searched for happy weed and a Yahoo question came up for Yahoo answers that said, "Will weed make me happy?" <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll oh, solve all your world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, good news. Well, that was good news. <clears throat> all right. And, uh... <laughs> what? Oh, I didn't do it. Indie Since, Game of the Week, Dungeon Defenders. 
<laughs> I was going to say, Alex Lane has played nothing for the last 15 days except Dungeon Defender. No, seriously, morning, noon, night, I bring my Xbox to school. Even though I have an Xbox here, I just don't want to wait for the time it takes to download my profile because I have to play right away. Poor Ricky. I made Ricky come over to my house, get my keys, drive to school, get my Xbox, and bring it to his house so he could play <laughs> Dungeon Defenders with me. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's pretty obsessed, though, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I started a pyramid scheme for getting mana and gear and levels to y'all, which worked really well. It did work really well. Mm-hmm. I saw that on Facebook, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Good, th- good times, good things. She's just trying to keep us drawn in. That's all I want. I know. All right. So, well, let's get to, excuse me, our issue of the week, which is not an issue this week, actually, but it is, it is listener mail. Yay! Listener mail. That's our sound effect. All right. So, let's, uh, we've got um, a couple of um, questions. Let's start with that first one because that one will go a little faster. Um, We've got... I think uh, we got some questions that will many. We've got many questions, so we're going to go ahead and do them, and then we also have a video question that we will actually um, we'll we'll post uh, we'll post to the website as well. Yep. Right. All right. So our first question is from from Adam in Lafayette. Actually, I don't know. Well, we know he's from Lafayette, cause, but we don't know where everybody's from. So Adam says, what video game do you consider truly feminist or as close as we've got so far? Or what game do you consider to be a good example for developers to look to when creating their game? Good question. That is a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Truly feminist. And 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 I've said this one a million times before and I'm going to say it again. Excuse me. Longest Journey. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the best RPGs ever. Um that gives you a female protagonist and not only because it gives you a female protagonist, a young female protagonist who is not underdressed, um, who is intelligent, does good problem solving, solves a lot of problems for herself. And it's also kind of a coming of age story because she learns during the course of, this is not really a spoiler, during the course of the game that um, there are two worlds, one of magic and one of technology. And she is this being that is the bridge between magic and technology. Um, so it gives her a very important role in the game as well. Um, and in addition to the kind of protagonist being this stronger female character, a lot of the uh, supporting characters, even the NPCs that are female, are very are very strong characters. Um, there's a lesbian couple who owns the um, boarding house that she lives in. Um, and they tell these stories of how they met and how, how they live their lives and how they they are this devoted, committed couple who have worked together successfully to build what they have together. Um, and I say that, that if I had to say, if I had to choose one, that would definitely be the one I chose. Um, I'm going to throw this out there because I know from knowing the person who asked this question that this is what prompted it. Saints Row 3, Go. This well, is from the Hey Ash What You Playin' episode about Saints Row 3, about how it's the most feminist game that's ever been made because you can make any color, shape, size woman that you want. But that you can't just limit it to the character you can make. Mm-hmm. Because in most games now, you can make, 
your characters, various shades, various colors, ethnicities, mm-hmm. um, large or small, tall or short, but it is the storyline that surrounds them, and it is the storyline that surrounds the characters that surround them as well, and the supporting characters. And I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I, I Saints Row 3 with, <clears throat> you know, pimps and giant dildos is not exactly the most feminist of games to me. Yeah. I don't know. And along that same line, then, then you could say something like Mass Effect would be the most feminist game, but regardless of whether you play male or female in that game, the interactions are the same. So right. it's not necessarily like power to the female as the player. It's just like we gave you the ability to... Although, I mean, I guess I could. it could argue both ways. Certainly not the most anti-feminist game. It's not the no, most anti-feminist. Not. You're right. But it's definitely not the most feminist game. I think that for even for me, Mass Effect 3 was a good game, but not because the game itself was feminist, but the character you create for yourself and the way that you experience that character is what can make it feminist. And this is what right. I would say in answer to your question, Adam, is... Um, and and I had this discussion with people here before when we talk about certain games and we say like oh that was really bad or that was really good or this was feminist or that really was super anti-feminist. Um, I would say in my experience, almost all of the time, a game itself isn't feminist or not uh, necessarily. A lot of times it there it you, a lot of times they le- live in that like limbo area, mm-hmm. um, and what makes it feminist or not is the way that the player plays and the way the player experiences and the way the player is able to make choices, and so we could, Sam and I could both play the same game and she could think it was super feminist and I could think it was super anti-feminist and we could be playing the exact same thing, but because of all of the contextualization that goes into every decision you make in these super interactive media. That changes player to player, and that is what determines whether it's feminist or not. So, Adam, I know you like a lot of, uh, uh, what is that, the cartoon? Anime. Anime, sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm sure I just offended the six people who watch the show. No, uh, uh, he watches a ton of anime, and maybe he experiences some of the female characters in that as, as being like really powerful female characters, whereas I would look at it because I understand nothing about the genre, and I'd be like, that's really offensive. You know, right? I mean, and excuse me to to go back to Mass Effect and think about that for a second. And and Nicole makes a good point: is like it it differs depend. Well, the actions are the same whether you are femshep or broshep. But what changes it? It changes interactions that you have with other people. For example, here's I think this is an interesting example. Mm -hmm. If you were playing broshep and your female love interests are sending you messages like, "I'm coming up to your room." And we can do that, you know, when they get there, they're basically, they're throwing themselves at you. Like, I'm going to strip naked and we're going to um, have sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... <laughs> edit. Edit. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, and you're like, okay, she's the biggest tramp in the world. And that's definitely done just for, for, the, for gratuitous, male, uh, gratuitous male behavior there, right? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, if you're playing... Femshep and playing Femshep as a lesbian and you have women who do the same thing, you can say, wow, look at this woman who's going after what she wants and mm-hmm. is saying, fuck society and what society says I should do and be. Do you right. understand what I mean? So you have all of these other mitigating factors that help, um, that help kind of determine how you experience a game and how the game kind of plays out. Does that make sense? I think it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> 
Definitely, definitely. I think of all the games that I was trying to think of as soon as you guys had shown me this question, the funny thing is, is I think the thing that most females who play games would actually, like, associate a feminist game with would be the Lara Croft series. And it's almost really strange because, in a way, she is, like, the epitome of almost... You know, the, the over-sexualized body and the 150% boobs, oh, let's just keep it. But at the same time, it empowered a lot of women who played video exactly. games. Absolutely. But it was through their eyes. So in the same way, it's like, there is there is there a way to say this is a feminist game and this is not? Or is there just kind of like, this is how you see the game, no matter what? I think that's a good point. Does it matter that now I see Laura Croft as a super problematic character when I was 13 and 97 and 12 and played her for the first time and I was like, holy shit, I can do this. I can be a video game character and I can play games and this is me too. Like, right. Do, so does it matter that now I see her as super problematic? Does that take away from the fact that I thought it was a super feminist game when I played it the first time? I don't, those, are, those aren't incompatible, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Next one. Ready? Ready. Yes. All right. So this one has a, a huge uh, wind-up that is talking about an article um, from Penny Arcade Editorial about Assassin's Creed 3. And it's talking about the director's... Uh, it's a it's a interview with the directors about how they had to decide about when they were making choices about representing Native Americans, how they had they went and they talked to people in the Native American community and they hired people from the Native American community and sort of the issues that they faced when they were deciding whether or not to depict something like scalping um, with whether or not it was historically accurate, whether the community thought thought it was historically accurate, what kind of damage it would do, um, even like down to the types of movements the characters made, like trying to balance between representing this community, having this community be a part of its own representation and representing them accurately with representing them in ways that would be seen as stereotypical and damaging. So this is the backstory to his question. So uh, this, and this is uh, Richard. So what's up, Richard? Okay, so my question is, if I'm a writer, how can I find the right balance? I'm not just a gamer. I'm also trying to write a novel. Maybe someday I'll even write more than one. I wouldn't want to exclude women or people of color from the storyline. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to include them in a way that was stereotypical. There used to be a show called Super Friends. It was made in the 70s, and it was all the DC comic superheroes working together. However, the characters, uh, the creators tried to include characters of color in the cast. It didn't go well because they tended to be stereotypical, like Samurai or Apache Chief. If I were to create a story or some other form of media, I want the cast to be inclusive, but given all the trouble the creators of Assassin's Creed are having, where it seems like they are walking on eggshells to be culturally sensitive and nearly falling into traps that I'm worried if I tried to do the same, it would come across in, in the wrong way or people would take issue with it. How do you write characters without accidentally stereotyping while not denying their identity? I wouldn't want my characters to be tokens or shallow depictions of culture or flat character written as a man who, who happens to be a woman. Bam. That's a good question. That's a great question. We fight yeah. that constantly, I think. On this show, especially. Um, Excuse me. It, it reminds me of something. I was, uh, I taught this unit and they were, they were talking about this uh, Jewish American society. I think it was in like the early 1900s. 
and they were trying to get all of these historical sites designated as part of their culture or something like that. They were trying to get some stuff done and they were fighting a ton within their own community and then this other community was like, well, are you guys offended by that? And the answer is, uh, we are all offended by different things. There's never going to be one thing that offends us. Um, I think the uh, there was a one of the boxers who's part of the Muslim community said the same thing. Be like, yeah, I think some of the stuff the Muslim American community does is really offensive to me, and I do things that they think are really offensive. Like, there's not one community that will, someone will always outcry, right? And because we're not a standard community that all believes the same thing. And so I think that's something important to remember. I don't know the answer to the question, but... Well, I think one of the things that we have to remember, and one of the things that I always, whenever people ask me this question is, I mean, it's something that we have to think about is just because you have a character who is Native American or Asian American or African American or whatever they may be, doesn't mean that you have to depict all characteristics of that race in that one person. Mm -hmm. Because... No, there is no monolithic, you know, African American experience. There is no monolithic uh, Native American experience. A person can be Native American and not, you know, and not hold all of these specific attributes that we say. Okay, here are you know twenty attributes that come along with being Native American. You don't have to give your character those twenty things, right? And if you make your, I mean, and that's the wondrous thing about. Um, a medium that is visual is that you can make your character look African American without making them look culturally stereotypically African American. So how do you get around his question then of like let's say you make a female who doesn't look like Chainsaw Lollipop Lollipop um, Chainsaw Lollipop Chainsaw and without just making her male or how do you make an African American character. You don't look like you don't look like Lollipop Chainsaw. Do you look male? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, that's the point. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. But I'm wearing a skirt, right? Oh, that's covered in pizza. Uh, <laughs> so I'm wearing a skirt. But you don't usually wear skirts. I wear skirts every day. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Okay. Anyway, I wear skirts every day, don't I? No. Um, so you don't have to make these things happen in this way, okay? The thing is, the thing is, is you can make a female character look female without giving her a, a, sh- a skirt that doesn't cover her ass and showing her panties and damn near everything underneath them every time she bends over. That's not what I'm wearing. And having... And having her wear a, a sports bra with her boobs popping out. You don't need that. I mean, we have had appropriately mm-hmm. dressed female characters in games before. Mm-hmm. Look at Jade in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which is one of the which is one of the great examples. I mean, she's she looks like a woman. She has a woman's figure. It is not a disproportionate woman's figure, but it is a woman's figure. And she's wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and like a denim jacket. Isn't that the longest journey to you? Yeah. Yeah, she wears a t-shirt and jeans. I mean, she's she's like a 16-year-old girl, and she dresses like a typical 16-year-old girl. You don't have to... You don't have to over-sexualize women in order for people to know that the character is female. You don't have to give Native American characters a feathered headdress in order to <clears throat> have them let people know that they are Native American, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to do these things. There are other ways of doing it. You can, you know, you can state it. 
right? It can it can come across in very nuanced and subtle ways. I mean, and that's where video games fail most times mm-hmm. is in subtlety, mm-hmm. right? right? It's, it's just always too in your face, right? Not all African-Americans speak a, protect, a particular vernacular, right? right? So you don't have to make all African-American characters speak in the same way. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give all African-American male characters huge-ass afros because guess what? Most of them don't wear huge-ass afros anymore. I mean, yeah. And I think what you're saying that's a really good point is you can have a mix of different types of characters in your game or books. You can have multiple women and they can each be their own type of person and they can right. each be different. Um, so you're not just using the same five characteristics to represent all women. Absolutely. And, and, and just because they don't have all the same characteristics doesn't mean that they are not that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the people that you know, mm-hmm. even. I mean, it's a good way to think about it. You know, when you, th- when you sit and you say, okay, here's an African-American character in my game. Hopefully you know African-Americans. Maybe you don't. And I'm not talking about you, Richard. I'm talking about it just in general. <laughs> I mean, but... You can say, okay, does every African-American person I know speak this way? Does every African-American person I know dress this way? Does every African-American person I know wear their hair this way? If the answer is no, then guess what? It probably shouldn't be in your character. I've never met a samurai or an Apache chief, I don't think. Yeah, me either. So. And I know, I know Native Americans and Asian folks. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the biggest things that video games fail at doing is putting characters in their game that if you were to walk down the street, you would never see someone who looks like that, ever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, the biggest thing for me is if you walk down the street and you see, like, different ethnicities, like, are they the stereotypes that you see in movies, video games, or books? Like, they're they're usually not. It's just that it's this, like... it's lazy, is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Not that you're Very lazy. lazy. And that's the thing, is that it's no, just, it's like lollipop chainsaw. I don't think you could walk down the street in no. very many places and find a teenage girl that looks like her. Outside of being outside a con. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a Halloween party. Or Hollywood. I don't know. I'm dressing this lollipop chainsaw for Halloween this year. You should, you should wear it to Jane There it is, all of us. Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, I think you're right. And this is what we talked about with Blink. Uh-huh. Right? Is they had quadrillions of male characters and no women because it would be too hard to think of one more alternative or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <coughs> yeah, it's because they're lazy. Like, oh, you know how it would be a really simple way to get diversity is just pull these same five characters that have been done over and over. Who cares how damaging they are, right? Or how sick of them and how, you know, ridiculous that they are. Absolutely. I mean, what we have to remember is that at our core, regardless of what ethnicity or race or religion we are, we are all human. That's right. I mean, and and we all have, you know, human attributes that are not tied to who we are racially or ethnically or religiously. Biologically. or, Or biologically, yeah. I mean, these are things that you definitely have to think about when you're thinking about creating characters. Um, this is a perfect segue into another one of our questions, what you just said right now. So do you want me to Absolutely. read it? This is very good. Um, this comes from John. Uh, do you believe that an artist has a moral obligation to better the world through their created art? If so, what can be done through artistic creativity of video game producers and creators to achieve these sorts of ends? What artistically has been done to expand cultural and social values through the many genres of video games? And I feel like that's what you were kind of getting at with your... Mm-hmm. 
talk about depicting humanistic values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, you got me. All right, so, I mean, <laughs> okay, well, first off, thanks to um, Richard. Richard and uh, Adam before for sending in the questions, and then now absolutely again to John for sending in his question, and I'm going to look at it on my screen at the same time. All right. <laughs> I think that, oh, wow, that's a good question because that, that talks about moral obligations and people are big into what people's moral obligations are. Yeah. Um, do we have a moral obligation? Do we have moral obligations as artists um, to better the world through created art? It depends. It depends on the medium, um, I have to say. Um, because different media have different audiences right um and i think but i think when we're talking about something like video games um do we have the obligation to make the world a better place no but we have an obligation not to make it a worse one right because you have when you think about your audience you have to admit that part of your audience is going to be um, impressionable kids or adults um, who may have some kind of mental defect, right? Um, or may just be simply impressionable because that happens as well. Um, and also that games do teach us things regardless of whether or not people want to think yes. that. Right, um, and in in some cases, especially when we're talking about fo- we're talking about um, folks who are labeled other, this may be the only interaction that some of some of our viewers, when we talk about viewers of art or artistic media, have um, with folks of color or queer folks or with well, not women, <laughs> um, but of certain kinds of people. God, I hope not women. Um, <clears throat> it's the only woman you'll ever see is in this video game. It's in this video game. Well. <laughs> I mean, but like I said, I don't think you have a, a moral obligation to make the world a better place, but you do have a moral obligation not to, to make it to not make it a worse one. Yeah. I would say from a worse... Think- go ahead. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh, I was just going to say that I think that there's also a very fine line between whether or not... Like, if you're attempting to not make it a worse one, there's a fine line between having the ability to do that and not pushing it into some space where we are making it better. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what I'm trying to say is that when you're when you're working towards not making something worse, there's there's the space that you're in where you have this opportunity to make things better and by not making it worse in a way that you are already making it better. Mm-hmm. Um I would say personally from and I think I can speak for you about this as well. In my work, I do feel a m- more obligation to try and make things better. Right. And I think almost, at least as long as I've known you, every single thing you've done, except Razmi, has been done. <laughs> She's laughing, not punching me. Um, has been done with an aim to make things better. So, mm-hmm. uh, so John, I don't think you have that obligation. I think, like Sam said, you do have an obligation not to make things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't f- muster the the uh, energy and focus and dedication that it takes to do anything, because stuff is hard to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to muster any of that if I didn't think in the back of my head that I was making 
it, something better for other people. Absolutely. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. You do. I mean, you absolutely speak for me in that case. I mean, mm-hmm. that is what keeps me going. Yeah, for uh, sure. Most times it's the thought that I am making something better in some way. Um, and that's, but then not only that, not only is that what keeps me going, but that's why I do what I do Absolutely, is because I think I can make a change. I mean, it's when, and we talk about that all the time mm-hmm. when we talk about, we're like, oh, well, see, the situation is still hopeful, but that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, even sometimes when shit's real fucked up, you, it, there still has to be some hope in that situation. Otherwise it is impossible to muster the energy, the physical and intellectual energy to do the work that you need to do in order to affect a change. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about being in academia, and I don't want to open a can of worms, but there's been such a long tradition about keeping your emotions separate from the intellectual work you do in the academy. It's not philosophy if you're doing it with your feelings, um, right? It's not worthwhile academic pursuits if you're changing the world for other people. Mm -hmm. We need to do these gedanken, they call it, which is a hilarious sounding word, these thought experiments. And that's what we do in the academy, right? And there's this whole group of people... A particular type of person um, that has that type of work in the academy and so I feel like the work we're doing that is emotional and theoretically affecting other people mm-hmm. I think isn't hasn't always been the norm here and I think we got to fight a little bit more to get it mm-hmm. seen as actual academic work mm-hmm. but hopefully that's the trend that it seems to be right I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly and I, I think that <clears throat> excuse me John asked that that last part of his question is actually a really, really interesting part as well. He says, what artistically has been done to expand cultural and social values through the many uh, genres of video games? And and we have to think about game mechanics as well, right? Yeah, Not exactly just the way that, that a game looks. And I don't know if that's what you meant when you say it artistically, because I think that the mechanics of games are, are artistic as well as just the, as just what's the, as the, uh. have another drink. Hola. Um. <clears throat> as well as just the uh, the visuals in the game. It's like, if we think about games like SimCity, for example, if you want to talk yes. about social or cultural yeah. values, right? You can build a city in SimCity and not build any bus stops and not build any public transportation. Your city is going to fail miserably because into the mechanics of the game, Will Wright has built his own philosophy about shared transport and pollution. Tax system and pollution and environment. Exactly. I mean, this is something that you have to think about because in order to, to have a world that exists successfully for long periods of time, you've got to have ride sharing and public transportation and the, and the, and the like. So that in my mind, is kind of mechanical artistry, right? That makes us rethink the way that we do we we live our own lives socially and culturally. Can I say something that you're gonna love? Sure. This is why Journey, in my opinion, is not an artistic game. <laughs> it's oh my pretty. gosh. Fine. But exactly what you just said, there is a there is an artistic mix that comes with the mechanics, which I know you don't like Fez. But the mechanics of Fez yeah. is, I think, incredibly artistic as well. Not for the same social cultural reasons that um, SimCity would be, but those types of games, I think, are the artistic ones, not necessarily just the pretty ones, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I think like also Fez. with that, though, like games like um, 
braid and as much of a douchebag Jonathan Blow really is, um, <laughs> yeah. what he's trying to do and what he says makes him the only artist in the industry right. is talking about like the way that he makes you do the puzzles. It has the music playing in the background, and it is nice to look at as well. But he's right, though, as big of a whatever as he is, he, he's right that there's some seriously new and interesting and different types of mechanics in that game. Exactly. And those are the kinds of things that I think is what makes it more artistic is definitely I think you find it in the mechanics because if it comes down to it, mm -hmm. money is what makes a, a game look better no matter what. You're either paying for the better like artist to do the art or you're paying for the better like engine to hold the graphics like the amount of like the resolution of the graphics you want to do. But it's the way that you make the game play that makes it artistic, and I mm -hmm. think that's a big difference. A absolutely. I feel like there's an article here. I think so. I think I wrote a whole paper about this, actually. Did you? Nice. <laughs> we would like <laughs> to see Can I that. just have a small proud moment because my boyfriend is the John who sent this question in? Oh, is he? Good thing yeah. we were like, that jerk. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You could have uh -oh. gave us a heads up in case we called him a douchebag or something. <laughs> <laughs> Such an asshole. Well, well done. <laughs> well, well, well done, John. Well done, John. <clears throat> Both on allowing yourself to be picked by Nicole and <clears throat> by sending in that correct. question. That's correct. I didn't know you Yeah, had a good job, John. Good job. You, you clearly just don't listen. Well, I thought, <laughs> whatever, we won't get into it, but... <laughs> um, should we go to the next one, John? Thank you very much. Uh, we have a good one here. Yeah, we have a good one from Opaline. Oh, it's from Opaline. Mm-hmm. Her email says Kimberly. My bad. Opaline. I'm, I'm sorry. So, um, Opaline says, you've spoken a few times about fantasy race options in role-playing games and how the limited or negatively stereotype options can be harmful and how lack of representation in other genres such as FPSs can also be damaging. Furthermore, you've discussed bullying and exclusion in gaming community and in multiplayer games. Thank you, Opaline, for listening to us. I was going to say, clearly she's listened to more than one episode. <laughs> uh, my question is, she has kind of a two-part question. My question is, let's just take the first part. How, no, we will do the whole thing. My question is, how these issues differ and to what extent they differ when applied to player characters? So we can just do this part. So rep she's talking about representation, negative stereotypes, lack of representation, mm -hmm. and bullying and exclusion, and how these issues differ to what extent and how they can be applied to players and characters. Do we understand that question, or should I read the second part? Because it makes read a little. The second part. It makes more sense. What she's what she's asking about here, she says, you spoke a bit about in episode thirty six, virtual rapes in Gears of War games, and the nightmare uh, scene in Heavy Rain mm -hmm. comes up in Mass Effect and Dragon Age, mm -hmm. where people form close attachment to their um, their shepherds or hawks or wardens. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, I think at some point you also spoke about how male and female avatars and MMOs get treated differently. We, they certainly do. Um, lastly, people build a kind of social status in games such as WoW that is important to them and other players yet taken outside of the context of the game looks like it has no meaning. Right. So people can be very attached to their avatars. Mm -hmm. When their avatars are hurt, it can also in some ways hurt the player. Is this the same as empathizing with characters in television or film? How does this, does the interactivity such as customization and decision making make it significantly more powerful? So what she's really asking about is the player connection with their character right and the different forms that takes including exclusion bullying lack of representation Absolutely. emotional connections rape all that kind of stuff 
And I think that this is, I mean, and this is actually something um, that I talked about in one of my blog posts when I talked about what it means to be a lesbian gamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. and how my shepherd for me um, was a big part of me because I had played shepherd for so long and played shepherd in such a way that shepherd and I are a lot of light, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? And I think that that's one of the things is that, that yeah, when, I mean, there are, there were relationships formed in Mass Effect, and, I, and this is going to be, this is going to sound weird to some people outside of the gaming community, I'm sure. But there were, there were relationships that I formed within Mass Effect that gave me serious pause when I made decisions because those relationships were very, realistic to me. I won't say real because I recognize that they are pixels on the screen, but were very realistic to me because of the time and the energy and the emotion and the intellectual choices that I had invested in the game up until this point playing Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. I mean, there were years of play that went into these choices, right? So I think that that is something that it is difficult for people to understand if they don't play games um, because to put that kind of effort and emotion into a character over the span of, what, six or seven years is a lot different, excuse me, from putting that kind of energy um, and not interactive energy even um, into a character for the course over the course of three hours while you watch a film. I mean, and I think that that's that's what's really different. I mean, and we we we've seen this, you know, since early on with you know like Julian Debell in the in the rape and cyberspace, right? Mm-hmm. Is people have a real investment? Sorry, have a real investment in their characters. So when their characters are violated. Um, in some way, shape, or form, they themselves feel as if they have been violated. And it makes perfect sense. Definitely. I totally agree. I think that the one of the beautiful things about video games is the the interactivity. And it's because of that that I think developers have to be almost extremely careful in what they are forcing you as the character to experience because they know how immersive and how powerful kind of not only the images on the screen are, but you're the, the like you said, the thoughts that in like the thinking that you're putting into it. I mean, it's not just like a oh, I hit a button and something happened. It's like I have developed this relationship with these people, and as much as like you know, people will think that we're crazy for doing that with something that's just, like you said, pixels. But at the same time, it's it's almost, God, and I'm going to get flack for this, but it's almost no different than having a conversation with a person right in front of you. Well, this is, this is, this is what I would say and how I see it. The relationships aren't any less real, whether or not it comes through the pixel. But like, in, like in WoW, the relationships you form with the people you play with aren't any less real. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's a, this is the realistic, real distinction in this scenario. I, I think they're different, but the feelings you, if the feelings you feel are real, then it's real. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're going to get blasted for that. I think that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I think that was a great question. Yeah. yeah. And These I, are all great questions. I know. People send more questions. We got smart people listening to I know. us. What in the world? But so, but I think uh, all you have to do is put the energy and time into a game um, like Sam's talking about or like people put into WoW, and you know that this question isn't as simple as, well, it's not real, but when I can 
reach out and touch another human being. That's real. Mm -hmm. like, it's not that simple if you've ever experienced anything close to this. It's not the same as a movie. You know, if you watch... Nothing you can do will change what's going to happen on the TV, I guess, except turn it off, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can watch a show over 10 years and love the characters and be involved in the characters, true, like, absolutely, you can be involved in the characters. Mm -hmm. And it, maybe it's not totally different if you play a, a WoW character over 10 years or whatever. Is it 10? It's 10 years that it's been out now, right? Mm -hmm. 03, almost 10 years. Yeah, almost 10 years. <clears throat> um, if you play a WoW character over 10 years, right? Um, but it's I think, I think it's a little a little different and this is one of the reasons why trolling and bullying and things that happen in this environment are so problematic because I think now I don't want to stereotype gamers but gaming is an outlet for people who find traditional forms of interaction and communications challenging difficult they may find it just fine but it's an extra outlet for people okay. um, and so when you get these people who maybe have trouble communicating in other mediums but feel comfortable and like it's a safe space in games and then they get bullied this is one of the reasons i think it's so much so problematic mm -hmm. um absolutely because we've always seen that as being a, a space to explore who you are as a person who you might want to be or something you would just want to explore mm -hmm. without having that kind of um without having the ability to be violated in some way and then to find yourself in that space and being violated is kind of it kind of doubly impacts you right as that person who exists online um with certain characteristics and as that person who exists uh, out offline who is looking for a safe well, space well because you have that space between yourself <clears throat> and the screen there's like this illusion of safeness no right. matter how involved you are so then when you get violated it's like holy shit what just happened? I thought I was just sitting by myself in my underwear in my living room, and all of a sudden, I feel completely violated. What is happening? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. <clears throat> um, our last question is the video question. It's a video question. Oh, no, we have one more. I'm sorry. Oh. This one's a, it's a little bit easier one. Uh, here's a question. You guys, from? you guys haven't seen this yet. From Cody. Uh, <coughs> what are the hosts, so are perspective on humanoid characters that are designed to be genderless um, it's open not contextualized but specifically this questioner is thinking of the orcs and goblins in warhammer um, they did not allow you to choose a gender they said there was no gender for that um, race mm -hmm. or class um, mm -hmm. and how does the lack of gender change or influence the game dynamics assuming that it does if we believe it does so genderless characters oh i got an answer for this one i had you too <laughs> I, I, I think that, interestingly enough, you can make a character genderless, or they can create this genderless character and say orcs are just orcs, they're not male or female. Um, but it goes back to what players, how players read gameplay, characters, etc. I think that even when I'm given a character that is, that is quote-unquote non-gendered or genderless, Based on how that, based on how I play that character, based on that character's interactions with other folks, that character forms a very distinct identity for me. That oftentimes includes that includes, and I'm assuming we're talking about not gender as in if it's masculine or feminine, but a biological, biological sex. sex yeah. And it does, if you know, it's like because I'll when I'm talking about the character, I'll be like, well, she or he, and that is, and because I give that character in my mind a biological sex. 
Um, I would say my answer is a little different. So now we have to fight to the death. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my answer is a little different. I would say that I would be hard-pressed to think of a single gender-neutral character that didn't have all of the stereotypically male attributes. That's true. Like the goblins and orcs in Warhammer, like he's talking about, you didn't see them gender-neutral with earrings or gender-neutral. They weren't androgynous. They were just male. They were just... Right. I, I mean, the, specifically the ones he's thinking of, you, there's not a single female characteristic there, but you could name almost all of them as male characteristics. And as stereotypically male. Stereotypically male. So I would be hard-pressed to find a character that's really gender-neutral in my mind, even if they say it is. Yeah. I would agree to that, right? Yeah. I can't, Yeah, you can't really argue with that, because I can't even think of a game where I played a quote-unquote genderless character. Yeah. So, so Sam plays a squire that has a mask and a tin can around it. So what's your squire? And it's pink and purple. Oh, so female? It is pink no, and purple? my squire is pink and purple, but he, but he is not. Well, you can change the color. I think it's it's blue and red with with silver, silver tin, right? Is the is the default? Is I the made default? mine pink and purple. Okay, and yours but is a man. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. And the. Well, the monkey, yeah, the monkey you can kind of see. Not really, though. It can be, it can be. We're talking about Dungeon Defenders. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but that was an interesting question, and I, and I think that, yeah, it, it's, it is interesting um, that, yeah, most of the characteristics that come as default are male, are male, excuse me, most characteristics that come as default, even on a gender neutral or gender less character are still default male characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. You can easily mm-hmm. put male on the goblin or the orc. And nobody and no one would, would bat an eye. Yeah. yeah. But you put female and it would be a little... Like, what? Like, what? Yeah. Because yeah. even in um, the Elder Scrolls games, in Oblivion and Skyrim, if you were to play... Um, oh my god, they are orcs in that, aren't they? Or what is the race? Uh, the k- k- the cat one? No. No. In Oblivion, there are... Oh, the orcs. They are orcs, aren't Uh they? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, even when you play the female, she does still look pretty similar to the male, but she does have feminine features to her. Mm -hmm. She's got more silhouetted shape. Right, right. Or hourglass shape, rather. So they're definitely, like, the the orcs that he's talking about are definitely, I I mean, there's, uh, in my mind, without a doubt, that I envision them as being male. Yeah. Okay. And, well, thanks for that question, Cody. We hope we answered it. Um, Our last question uh, is a video question. Um, And what we will do is we'll play the audio here. Um, and then we'll attempt to answer it. <laughs> um, but what we'll also do is we'll play the video, we'll post the video question itself um, along with uh, our audio that answers the question um, as a separate file on the website so that you can actually see the entire thing. Um, it's kind of quiet. It's kind of quiet. We should try to play it this way. <clears throat> Let's see if we can hear it. Tell us if you can hear this, Nicole. Okay. Is that too quiet? It's pretty quiet. All right. All right, let's try this. Sorry, folks. We could just post it separately. 
Because <clears throat> that's a similar question to the one. It's similar to Opalines, isn't it? Yeah. It is similar to Opalines. And this question is actually about the role of strategic ambiguity in Avatar. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm trying not to cough. Okay. Let's see if we can make this work. Oh, it doesn't want to play on my phone. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll post that one separately, because that's, that's not going to work for us right now. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we can still answer it, though, yeah? We just listened to it. Or you want to post that answer let's post separately? It. Let's post the answer separately. All right. Um, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll post a, a, a separate file for folks that pull us directly off of iTunes. Okay? That is just the audio. Um, so, as far as deals for broke-ass gamers, which I'm in charge of, well, that was our, our, those are our questions for Yes, now. thank you so much for sending those in. It was fun to get them, and I feel like people were so smart and had smart stuff to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We need to do another one of these, like, every, like, ten, maybe, or something. Yeah, that's a good idea, because this is 40, right? Yeah, this is 40. Yeah. All right, so, um... You can always, well, we'll get to that at the end. Um, deals for broke-ass gamers, you know, I think we're still in a lull after the Steam sale. There's nothing good on sale. No. Um, mm -mm. I think people are, we've got a lot of great games coming out at the end of this month. We've got great games coming out in September and really great games coming out in October. Um, there's some stuff on clearance um, that is like previous versions of stuff that's coming out, like Assassin's Creed Revelation or Borderlands that all can be had on clearance fairly cheaply, but there are no great sales going on. There's not even really anything good on sale at uh, <clears throat> at Steam. I think you get Dead Space and Dead Space 2 for 10 bucks, but that's about it. Um, so there's no great sales going on right now. So um, save your money. Mm -hmm. Play the yeah. games you have. We all have that pile of shame like Nicole and her Assassin's Creed Revelation of games <laughs> that we bought open, uh, bought and never played mm -hmm. or opened, played for 10 minutes and never went back to. Yep. Play that and wait for the great releases that are coming up. Um, we've got uh, Super Mario World 2 coming out in like four days. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some good stuff coming out. Let's get it played, folks. Let's get it played. Indeed. <clears throat> so, as I said, there'll be some supplemental stuff that we're going to be posting to the website. Um, and then there will be the supplemental video question that will get posted. Um, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks <clears throat> with our episode 41. Um, and if you want, you can always send us more questions at nymgamer at gmail.com. It can take the, the form of voicemail, email, or video mail. We are open to them all. <clears throat> you can follow us on Facebook. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at, at NYMGamer. Um, you can always visit our website. at uh, Our website is www.nymgamer.com, where during the, the interim between the podcasts, um, we post um, all kinds of smart and interesting things about what we're thinking about what we're playing what we're reading what we're seeing um so it's kind of a great way to keep up with us during the week mm -hmm. um there's all kinds of great stuff going on definitely check it out um go to the website we still have t-shirts large through double x i think um 15 bucks you can you too can have your very own not your mama's gamer t-shirt buy the damn t-shirts please <laughs> Um, 
I want them out of my house at this point. Uh, Plus, I made Sam pay for half my Gen Con ticket, so she needs that money, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Alex and I are going to be going to Gen Con so this weekend. So you'll be seeing some posts about that. Maybe we'll do an extra little podcast. Yeah, we might do some fun stuff about Gen Con. Keep an eye out. Um, so for my cosplay, I'm going to cut out some NYMG symbols and use them as, well, you got to come to Gen Con to find out. <laughs> um, let me just say we had a rather inappropriate conversation about this <laughs> awesome awesome so that being said thanks for joining us yet again for episode 40 we look forward to hearing from you and seeing you again or you hearing us again for episode 41 uh so until that time uh it's not, it's not hot. Just relax, man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. That's where we are right now. Kick back, drink some... Kick back, relax, and as always, game, game on. Game on! Hi, this is Christopher, and this is my character, Panopticon, a wizard on Diablo 3. I was reading your blog post on what it means to be a lesbian gamer, and I myself am a queer gamer. And I strongly identify with my character here, Panopticon, to, who to me seems very queer. And I think a lot of that has to do with the role of strategic ambiguity that comes into play in this particular representation. It's not very clear what race Panopticon is. He's not really white. He's not really Asian. It's just not real certain what his race is as well as his sexuality, the way he moves is very fluid, what you might typically expect of a wizard, but the way that he communicates too to the Templar. The Templar is his cohort in the game and he's very butch, I would say. He likes the girls in the game and is always commenting on how pretty they are, but uh, Panopticon, he has these scripted responses and he will usually say things that encourage the Templar or that nurture the Templar. But don't necessarily say, yeah, she's really pretty or she's really hot. So it just makes me wonder, are the developers thinking more about the role of strategic ambiguity to make their games more appealing to everyone instead of the standard hypersexualized characters we typically see? Wow, Christopher, thanks for your question. I think it's a great one on the notion of strategic ambiguity when you talk about character creation. Um, I I would like to start by saying, one, I have great hopes that people would create um, characters that are more, um, that are more generic or ambiguous, um, and there, there's a good reason for that, and that is because I think that it then gives gamers with different characteristics who may be of different races, who may be of different um, sexual orientations, who may be of different biological sexes, um, the opportunity to better identify with those characters. Um, and I would also say, but at the same time, I would say, but at the same time, I will say, I think that we see that more often in characters that are created by um, Japanese developers than we do by gamers that are develop games that are developed in the U.S. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I I love your question, um, and I think this fits really well with the questions <coughs> that we had um, in the rest of our show. Um, and I so just like we want, I want to see a gamer who is female, um, or people want to see gamers that maybe are Native American or African American or um, 
have different sexual orientations. You also want characters that are ambiguous, that you can make of them what you want. Um, not just so that you can see part of yourself in them, although I think that's a huge part of it, especially mm -hmm. for me, but so that you can make of them what you will. And when we see the default characters for so long being like the Templar in your question, the heterosexual male, oh, she's so hot type of characters, you can't make, a lot of people can't make of that what they want, the kind of character they want to identify with. So when you see these more ambiguous characters, I think that it opens it up and says, people who think all different types of things belong here, here's a character for you. But that said, I also still want to see a definitely X, Y, or Z character as well as ones that are left purposefully, strategically ambiguous. And I think that Panopticon is a really good, your character Panopticon, is a really good example of someone that is an inclusive character that isn't so defined to be exclusive to different types of players. So that is what I have to say. Nicole? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about how, and we, we kind of talked about this, did, I, I feel like we talked about this almost in a, a recent episode about how a lot of people play um, the opposite gender of themselves in WoW mm -hmm. because of the interaction that the female characters end up having. And I think that that's almost something that I, I like kind of what you were saying, Alex, is that you would hope to see that it wouldn't have those kind of things set with whatever you choose your character to be. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't play enough MMOs to understand fully like the amount of interaction that is based solely on your avatar. But I do know that a lot of it surrounds that, and I think it's really interesting to create one that has no, like, stigmas put to it, and, like, how that interaction would almost be totally organic instead of set to what we expect to see with a character like that. You know, I was thinking, I was just whispering to Sam, like, I don't think there's a lot, but now that I think about it, in, like, games like Skyrim and stuff... There's a ton of interaction that's based on your class and your history and all of that mm -hmm. stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. But in games like, like wow, almost a, almost a, um, whole sections of the game are based on that. I feel like I think like reputation points. The the more that powerful they get, and the more backstory <coughs> that gets incorporated into mm -hmm. like quantifiable measures. Like you have X respect or uh, that Crusader Kings, um, that game. If you like are a male of this of this country you will have respect with these types of people disrespect right. with these religious people will always hate you loyalists will always love you whatever it is absolutely and i think that the games the technology is getting complex enough that we can put the, those things into the games more often which allows for more customized interactions and i think that the games have been been playing at that for a while because i think the first time i can remember paying close attention to that was probably with Oblivion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, now after Oblivion, it's almost expected anyway of me. Yes, I agree. Or by me I when I start thinking about RPGs and even MMORPGs is I, I expect folks around me to respond to me based on who I am. Yeah, definitely. Especially mm -hmm. in um, Kingdoms of Amalur. Yeah. Depending yeah, on who you were. That was a exactly. huge element to that game. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, that was a great question. Yeah, I like that one a lot. That's mm -hmm. fun. Thanks. Thank Thanks you, Christopher. Again, Christopher. <laughs>